0: I wanted to talk with you about Psalm 23, this most beloved and most famous song that there is. And um, in this, we want to start by first sharing the theme that seems to go throughout scriptures and echoes from the beginning to the end, which is the theme of shepherd. Many images of this theme, Shepherd. And um, I want to start in the Old Testament and just show you how this theme actually plays out. And uh, I just also want to thank all those of you, before I forget, who joined us yesterday for our wonderful, wonderful parking lot service. Didn't you guys enjoy that? Yeah, Yeah, that was a wonderful service. And uh, it was a lot of fun, a lot of fellowship, and the guys who taught did a great job. So in the Old Testament, we see this concept of shepherd, starting off with Abel. Abel was that brother who was murdered by Cain, his jealous brother. So we see in the Old Testament, Abel was a shepherd in Genesis 4 verse 4. It says, And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock. Flock is a sign that he had sheep. (laughs) And he brought the firstborn of his flock, of the fat portion. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. The Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. So We see after bringing his offering, this shepherd named Abel was killed by his jealous brother Cain. What a great picture we have right here of how Shepherd Jesus was also killed by his jealous Jewish brothers, Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the religious leaders. Secondly, we see Jacob, him and his sons were also viewed as shepherds. When Joseph, you will know the story, he rose to the highest level of political power in Egypt, and at that point his brothers came searching for deliverance from This this horrible famine that they were experiencing, and they they needed to survive, so they came hat in hand to this prince, and lo and behold, it turns out to be their brother whom they sold into slavery. It was Joseph. But these brothers, when they came to Joseph, Joseph introduced them to Pharaoh. And here is the conversation that was had between them and Pharaoh in Genesis 47, verse 3. The Bible says, Then Pharaoh said to his brothers, to Joseph's brothers, What is your occupation? So they said to Pharaoh, Your servants are shepherds. So we see that Jacob and all of his sons were also shepherds. We see Moses was a shepherd. Moses' life can be divided into three 40 year periods. The first 40-year period of Moses' life, he was being trained and being raised up to be the prince of Egypt. Of course, then he was infuriated. He killed one of the Egyptians. And because of that, he had to flee. And so here starts the second period of his life, which is another 40-year period, where he lived on the backside of a a desert in Midian as a shepherd tending to the flock. And then after that second period of 40 years, he gets to the third period of his life. And that's where God sends him back to Pharaoh to go and tell Pharaoh to let his people go. I want to share something interesting to you about these uh, plagues that came upon Pharaoh and the Egyptians. Every one of the ten plagues that Moses basically uh, uh, cursed Egypt with was really a rebuke and a condemnation of one of the ten gods whom they served. Like, for instance, when the river Nile turned to blood, basically God, our Father, was overthrowing their God of the Nile. They couldn't do anything to purify the water of the Nile, because it had turned to blood. It's like when, they, when Moses threw down his staff, it turned into a snake they threw down their stars, and their stars turned into snakes. And then Moses' snake ate their snakes. (laughs) So it was a condemnation of the very gods whom they worshipped. It turned dark. Why? Because they worshipped the sun god, and they couldn't make the sun appear again. And so Moses sends all these locusts to destroy their crops and their harvests. Why? Because they worshipped the God of the harvest. And suddenly, here comes comes Moses, and every one of their gods are destroyed. That's what that was. So we see Moses, the first 40 years, he's trained as a prince. The second 40 years, he's a shepherd, trained as a shepherd. And then the third 40 years of his life, he goes and he faces off with Pharaoh. And now he's shepherding God's people for 40 years in a desert. We also see David was a shepherd. As a young boy, David comes to Saul and he offers Saul to slain the giant Goliath. And when Saul questions him, David responds this way in 1 Samuel 17:34. But David said to Saul, your servant was tending his father's sheep. Because Saul wanted to know where he come from. This brave little kid, where would you come from? He says, well, I was tending my, my father's sheep. And he says, when a lion or a bear came and took the lamb from the flock, I went out after him and attacked him, both the lion and the bear, and rescued it from his mouth. So the lion and the bear, representing sin, came, grabbed the hold of a sheep, and here young little David runs jumps on this lion looks what he does look at what he does and when he arose up against me David said when this sin when this evil rose up against me that was destroying the sheep i seized him by his beard and i struck him and i killed him can you imagine this young boy killing this lion in order to get this one little sheep out of the mouth of the lion you see i'm not david you're not david don't ever forget that (laughs) david is a representative of jesus right and jesus was the one who came and left the 99 and he chased after this lion this bear he grabbed it and he crushed its head against a rock in order to get that sheep that one sheep out of his mouth and bring him back why because jesus said Of whom the Father gave me, I have not lost one, not one, except for the son of perdition who was here for the purpose which he served, which was to deny me. Jesus, the good, victorious shepherd, loses not one. And here's David, a picture of Jesus saving the sheep from the mouth of, of the destroyer sin and david now is about to do the same thing he's about to go and destroy their largest enemy they've ever had which was goliath a picture of sin who has come to destroy and to destroy the children of god and david destroys the last enemy they have yes david represents jesus goliath represents sin you and i We are the Israelites cowering behind a rock and hiding. That's who we are. We are defenseless, like a sheep who doesn't have claws, who doesn't have teeth. Well, he has teeth, but he doesn't have fangs, like he cannot protect himself. So we are defenseless against this enemy called the nature of sin and sin itself. Therefore, we are helpless and hopeless to even survive sin. We are dead in our sins, but here comes our Savior, And He absolutely destroys our enemy in order to save even the lost one. The lost one of those whom the Father gave Him. So we see that David was a shepherd. And he responds, he says, I went after him and I attacked him and rescued it from his mouth. And when he arose up against me, I seized him by his beard and struck him. And I killed him. He is victorious. Whether it be Abel, got killed by Cain, whether it be Jacob, whether it be Moses or David, or even the apostles and the kings of of old. Every story is a wonderful portrait of the king, the shepherd king, Jesus, who was to come. So we see, okay, so the Old Testament is saturated with this theme of shepherd. Let's go to the New Testament and see what the New Testament tells us about shepherd. And I want to outline this to you because I want us to go to Psalm 23 which is about the Shepherd, who He is, why He came, how He saves, whom He saves. But before we get there, I want to outline this theme in the Old Testament and let's go to the New Testament and see what the New Testament says about shepherd. and then next week we'll talk about my cup overfloweth, whose cup overflows, why does it overflow and whose cups do not overflow and remains dry. Alright, so, in the New Testament, this New Covenant understanding of Shepherd, we start off with our Chief Shepherd, Jesus. He is the Good Shepherd, the Bible says in John 10, verse 11 through 12, it's Jesus speaking, He says, I am the Good Shepherd. The Good Shepherd lays down His life for who? The Sheep. The Sheep. He lays His life down for them. No one else for them. He who is hired hand, he who is a hired hand, and not a shepherd, who is not the owner of the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches and at the sheep and they scatter. So we see Jesus is called a shepherd. We also see that the apostles are called shepherds, or called to be shepherds. In John 21, 15, it says, So when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Tend my lambs. If that's what you do, if you love me, tend to my lambs. Verse 16, He said to him again the second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Shepherd my sheep. This is what happens. This is what takes effect, this is the outworking of my love for God, is to absolutely tend to the sheep, protect them from wolves, protect them from harm, lead them to where they can feed off of God's Word. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Tend my sheep. Okay, interesting here. Little side note. Who betrayed Jesus? Judas. Judas. Who denied Jesus? Peter. Peter. How many times did he deny him? Three times. How many times did Jesus call him back to the office of shepherd? Three times. Tend my sheep. Shepherd my sheep. Tend my sheep. Three times. So we see that the apostles were shepherds. So now we've confirmed Abel was a shepherd, Jacob, his sons were shepherds, Moses was a shepherd, David was a shepherd, Jesus was seen as a good shepherd. The apostles were called as shepherds. Now we also see in the New Testament that pastors are called to shepherd. So in the New Testament, we don't see pastor being an office. Like I don't stand in the office of pastor. But I pastor because I am standing in the office of elder. And uh, these are the ones we see. These are the offices we find in the New Testament is bishop, is overseer, and elder. And these offices have a function. And the function of these offices is what? To shepherd the flock of God. That is what you do as an elder or as an overseer or as a bishop. We see that in 1, 1 Peter 5, verse 1 through 4. It says, Therefore, I exhort the elders among you the elders, that's the position, as your fellow elder, which he also had the position as Paul, and witness of the sufferings of Christ and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed. Here comes the command. Shepherd the flock of God. So he's saying, elders, which are also bishops, which are also overseers, you guys, shepherd the flock of God. That's your job. All right. <laughs> You're not running for a popularity contest. Your job is shepherding God's people. Right? Nothing else. Shepherd the flock of God among you. Exercise oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntary. According to the will of God, and not for sordid gain, but with eagerness, nor yet as lording it over those allotted to, cho- to your charge, In other words, you're not a a celebrity around here, but proving me, but proving to be examples to the flock, and when the chief shepherd appears, Jesus, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. There's the charge given to pastors in the New Testament church. So we see Jesus, a good shepherd, the apostles called to shepherd, pastors are called to shepherd bishops are and overseers are. So the conclusion is the concept of shepherding is found throughout the Word of God. It is central to and at the front of Scriptures, the forefront of Scriptures. So in Psalm 23, which is the Psalm we're going to look at today, written by David to his Lord, David penned Psalm 23 to his Lord, is a picture of a shepherd singing or writing to his shepherd. He understands shepherding. He knows what it's all about. And we see the most thorough representation of this idea and concept of shepherd in Psalm 23. But this concept of shepherd in Psalm 23 that we're going to look at shows you basically who the shepherd is. It shows you how the shepherd feeds his flock, leads his flock, and why the shepherd feeds and leads his flock." So let's dig in <coughs> to the Psalm, but not as a preaching exercise, but as a studying exercise. I want us to um, use the Word of God or handle the Word of God with all, with, uh, as honorable students of the Word of God. So we're going to look at it, searching for original atten- intent. Of the authors, okay? We're gonna exegete the scripture over the next two weeks. Psalm 23 is possibly, as you know, the best known song, the most loved song of all. People quote the psalm even outside of the church. They quote the psalm when they go to war in the middle of battle. You'll see them run day in movies with their guns and they lay down, hidden behind, you know behind a barricade, and I will go, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, He lays me down in green, but He leads me beside still waters, even though I walk through a valley, a shadow of death, I will fear no evil, I will fear no evil." So people love the psalm because whether it be on the war, uh, uh, you know, on the battlefield, or whether it be on sick bed, people love the psalm, or whether it is you standing next to somebody on a deathbed, people love the psalm, it brings them much comfort. But not only is Psalm 23 the most loved, but also possibly the most abused Psalm of all. And I want to show you why. Because we have to look at it from the author's intent. As believers, we conclude that we have been promised a life void of hardships and a life without lack. Why? Because we read, The Lord is my shepherd, therefore I shall not want. My life is void of strife. My life is void of, should be void of hardships. My life should be void of all needs because there should be no lack. The Lord is my shepherd. But there's a disappointment in misinterpreting scriptures because you end up finding out that you held on to a, a promise interpreted not from the original author's intent, but from my own personal desires and wants. And I want to show this to you because Psalm 23 is only true if it actually follows Psalm 22. <laughs> Without Psalm 22 preceding it, we couldn't possibly interpret Psalm 23 accurately and truthfully. Psalm 23 and t- uh, 22 and 23 can be and should be read as one developing thought, one developing piece of work one developing letter, one developing book, one developing idea. You see, when the Bible was written, the Bible wasn't written with chapters and verses. When, when David was penning this, he wasn't saying Psalm 22, verse 1, and he started writing the first verse, and then he went verse 2 and wrote the second verse. That's not how it worked. He was penning these poems. He was penning these prophecies. He was penning God's heart and putting it onto long scrolls. And we could and we should and we must read Psalm 22 all the way through, without numbers, through Psalm 23 in order to grab the heart of the, of the author's original intent of what's being said. Psalm 22 is really a prophetic psalm. It's a messianic psalm. In other words, it talks about a coming Messiah. It's prophesying the coming Messiah. Christ that will deliver them and save them. It is the psalm of the cross. And I'm going to point out some of the verses or some of the statements in Psalm 22 to you. You'll be, sh- you'll be shocked at just how accurately it explains the cross. So there is no real promise in Psalm 23 for a person until, they, until the reality of Psalm 22 has done a work within them. Charles Spurgeon, one of my favorites, and I'm sure one of yours, He was called the Prince of Preachers. Charles Spurgeon, a great man of God, he wrote this, and I quote, It is only after we have read, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? In Psalm 22, that we can come to the Lord is my shepherd. In Psalm 23, we must by experience know, he says, the value of bloodshed in Psalm 22 and see the sword awaken against the shepherd of Psalm 22 before we, we shall be able to know truly the sweetness of the good shepherd's care in Psalm 23. You see, it is important to know that Psalm 23 comes after Psalm 22 for a purpose. It is a divine design that it fits together this way. So you might say, well, Jacques, what is then so important about Psalm 22? What can we learn from it? When you read Psalm 22, you will see that Jesus' crucifixion was foretold. And it was foretold at this point when David penned this Psalm, it was more than a thousand years before Mary gave birth to Jesus in a cradle. More than 1,000 years prior, this is when this happened. So let me highlight some of this messianic psalm to you. And when you see that this is actually Jesus speaking prophetically through David in Psalm 22, then you will understand that Psalm 23 is also Jesus addressing and affirming His shepherd, the Father, who never left Him even though He walked through a valley of shadow and of death. So let's read just a few excerpts out of Psalm 22, and you connect the dots. Psalm 22, verse 1, David writes, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This is Jesus speaking, very obviously. Psalm 22, verse 14 and 15 says, I'm poured out like water. Jesus said, I'm poured out like a drink. Here, a thousand years earlier, David writes, I'm poured out like water. And all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within me. My strength is dried up like a potsherd. And my tongue cleaves to my jaws. And you lay me in the dust of death. This is Jesus. Psalm 22 verse 16 and 18 says, For dogs have surrounded me, and a band of evildoers has encompassed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. I count all my bones... They look, they stare at me. They divide my garments among them. And for my clothes, they cost lots. Psalm 22, verse 20. Deliver my soul from the sword. All these things. There was a reality hanging upon the cross a thousand years later, a thousand years before that, prophesied Jesus speaking through the pen of David that means it is only because of the gruesome psalm that comes before Psalm 23 that the promises and the blessings of Psalm 23 could ever be real 1,000 years before Jesus was born in a manger he prophetically speaks to his father then he continues to speak through Psalm 23. Yes, the Lord God is my shepherd. I shall lack nothing. He says, he makes me lie down in green pastures and he restores my soul. He restores my soul. Jesus is not here saying he makes me feel better. He says, no, he brings me back to life. He restores my soul even though I walk through a valley of the shadow of death you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies therefore we now conclude that Jesus actually plays two roles in this most beloved Psalm 23 and we have to find Jesus playing both these roles in the Psalm that we're about to study and you'll see Jesus, you you can read it through the eyes of Jesus prophesying a thousand years prior prophesying what is happening to Him on a cross. And you can read this and should read this as a shepherd David, speaking about His very shepherd, Jesus Christ, which you and I need to echo. So first, He is the one who looks to His Father as a good shepherd, and secondly, He is the shepherd to whom David looks. So let's read Psalm 23 from the perspective of Jesus. Is that good? Are you all okay out there? Psalm 23, from the perspective of Jesus. And since we already know the story of Jesus so well and how He was crucified on the cross, I just want you to imagine Jesus writing this and Jesus saying this. He says, the Lord is my shepherd. This is after He already hung. He says, yet the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lay down in green pastures, He leads me beside still waters or quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, I fear no evil. You are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed my head with oil. The anointed one, the anointed one, Christ. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of my Lord forever. It's so clear for me to see Jesus write that. It's so very obvious to me that Jesus comes out of Psalm 22 and he continues into Psalm 23. Speaking of his atonement and his resurrection. And he's being reconciled with God the Father. He will live with God forever. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever after the resurrection. Now, let's look at an exegetical look at David, the shepherd, speaking to his shepherd. The one who shepherds him. This is the second perspective. And we'll see a few things that we can echo alongside David since we too are sheep in this fold that follow Christ. It starts off with, The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd, David says. The Lord is my shepherd. If we filter this through the five stages of the exegete, the first one is the grammatical principle. We have to understand the words we read. The Lord, he's referring to. He, central to this statement, the Lord, he is my shepherd. It speaks of God's providential care. Here we see that the Lord is the one who shepherds. We see that the Lord is the one who cares for the sheep. The Lord is the one who lays his life down for the sheep. The Lord is the one who will leave the 99 to go and find the one and save that one out of the mouth of a bear and out of the mouth of a lion. The Lord is the one who promised that no one and nothing can pluck you out of his hand. He is the good and the victorious shepherd. He will lose, not one. This is a reason some people, when they read that, they skim over the fact. There's so much to understand about the fact that it is the Lord. Oftentimes we think it's us. Oftentimes we think it's, you know, the pastor. It's the church. It's that ministry. It's this author. It's no, it's the Lord. He is the one who shepherds you. He may do so through people, whenever and whomever He chooses. But your leading comes vicariously from Christ. He is the one who leads, that gives direction. And if your direction that you give from somebody else is not scriptural, it's not the Lord, you see. My point is, if you're reading somebody's book, if you're listening to somebody's sermons, and even these ones, you have to see it in scriptures in order to really be led by Christ. Just because... Um, there's maybe, you know, you're in, a, in an event and it seems to heal you emotionally, time being, but there was it wasn't necessarily of the Lord. Well, that's not true healing. <coughs> that's maybe a numbing of something, but it's not a true healing. It's the Lord that heals. Time doesn't heal. If time healed, then the Lord was unnecessary. It's the Lord that heals. Psychology doesn't feed. It's the Lord that leads you to green pastures. So let's go to the next word. The Lord is my shepherd, David writes. He is my shepherd. I mean, he could have written many things, but he said, no, 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 he's actually mine. He's my shepherd. This shows us that the Lord's providential care is limited. The Lord's providential care is exclusive. David is not making a universal statement about God's relationship to all people in the world and throughout history. The Lord is not... The Lord is not everybody's shepherd; He is not anyone's shepherd. No, no, no. David says, "No, He's my shepherd." He writes. This is a reason some people should be shaking in fear and filled with the fear of God when they come to this psalm, because for those who do not have Christ, must read this not as Psalm 23 but as anti-Psalm 23. See, if they, don't, if they didn't come through Psalm 22 and they didn't come via this good shepherd who was slaughtered and who attacked a bear and a lion and who attacked Goliath and this shepherd who came after that very thing that had you in his jaws, sin. If you don't come via this one of Psalm 22 who took care of the very wolf that wants to devour the sheep, if you don't come via that shepherd in Psalm 22, then you cannot claim Shepherd, the shepherd of Psalm 23. Many people, like I mentioned earlier on, they are on, battle- on the battlefield, and that's the verse they run to. They, they, they never followed Christ. as a, He's never been their shepherd. They've never been a sheep. But suddenly now, Psalm 23 is needed because... I need my soul strengthened. Or they're on sickbed, or on deathbed, or they're going through a very devastating time in their life, and suddenly they grab onto Psalm 23, when in fact they're grabbing onto the very Psalm that promises them the opposite of what they think it promises them. Do you understand what I mean? This is the reason some people should tremble when they read this and not feel comfort instead. It's a strange thing. Instead of trembling at this, they find comfort in it. But here, listen to the anti-Psalm 23. To those who do not know Christ, who did not come through Psalm 22, who are not a sheep of the shepherd. I just penned this last night and I thought... How fearful this is. The Lord is not my shepherd, is what they ought to read. I will not. Oh, I will always be in want. The Lord is not my shepherd, therefore I will always be in want. He does not lead me. I lead me. Therefore my soul is not restored and never will be when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death I will tremble and I will fear because he's not with me he has abandoned me and I am completely alone my cup runs dry goodness and mercy is nowhere to be found wherever I go only evil and cruelty is everywhere I have no place In the house of God, I am deserted. I am forsaken forever. This is the anti Psalm 23 for those who did not come through Psalm 22. But David is not declaring God's position toward the world or even toward Israel. He could have said that. He he could have said, The Lord is Israel's shepherd. He will take care of Israel, the nation. But he says, no, the Lord is my shepherd. Not even, not everyone can say the Lord is my shepherd. Not everyone in Israel back then or even now can claim the Lord is my shepherd. Maybe not everyone listening to this today can make that claim. Maybe you've made it before and you've put false hope into it and you have felt better because of it, but the reality is, there's no following Christ. And if there's no following Christ, how is that that person a sheep? How is he the shepherd of that person? Only those who understand Psalm 22 and the redemption they have in the bruised, beaten and crucified shepherd and those who have faith in Him can claim, yes, the Lord is my shepherd. That's why I will never lack. I don't lack saving. You might even say today, well, Jacques, no, I don't know about this. You see, God loves everyone, and He leads everyone to green pastures, and He he leads everyone through the valley of the shadow of death. Why? Because everybody is God's children. Everybody is God's children. Well, John 10 verse 11, Jesus actually says this. He says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life. What does it say? For the whole world? Nope. He lays down his life for the sheep. You can say it differently. He says he lays down his... He, he hangs upon that cross and bleeds for who? The sheep. This is consistent throughout Scripture. That's who He died for. Somebody goes, <clears throat> well, that's not true. That's not true. Okay, well, let's keep reading. Let's, go, let's skip a few verses. Let's go to verse 26. Jesus is still addressing the same crowd. He says, no, but you do not believe. <laughs> you don't believe. Why? Why? Because you are not my sheep, he says. Now watch this for a moment. He didn't say, you are not my sheep because you will not believe. That's not what he said. You cannot be part of this fold because you refuse to believe. That's not what he said. He said something else. He said it the other way around. He said this, but you do not believe and here's the reason why you do not believe he says because you are not my sheep (laughs) that's why you don't believe did you get that he's not saying you're not sheep because you don't believe he says you do not believe because you aren't sheep not mine but he just before that said I'm the good shepherd and the good shepherd lays down his life or his sheep. This was highly offensive. And if you look, you'll see. Then they got so angry, they said, That's it, he's got to die. I'm, he's, that's We're killing him one way or another, he's dying. We're drawing a mirror for every one of us to look into this mirror. You have to ask yourself <laughs> Do I follow Christ? So you might end up asking, well, then if so, how do I know who His sheep is? Who are His sheep? Like, how do we know this? Can we can we test ourselves to see if we're in the faith, which Paul tells us to do? Can we do this? And I know that I'm his, I know I'm in the faith if I'm part of His sheepfold, and I know I'm part of His sheepfold if I believe. Because by grace, through faith, you've been saved. And this too is a gift from God. That faith to believe is a gift from God. Which He gives to His sheep. So the question is, who are His sheep? John 10, 25, He tells us. Jesus answered them and said, I told you, you do not believe the works that I do in my Father's name these testify of me you do not believe because you are not my sheep my sheep hear my voice my sheep do what I hear, my hear my voice my sheep hear my voice <coughs> and i know them and they follow me and they follow me my sheep hear me and they come My sheep hear me, and they move, they follow. And then it says, and I give eternal life to them, and they will never perish, never, none of them will. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. No one and nothing can take you out of God's hand. You know, I grew up in... um, in in Africa, in a non-denominational church, and in this church, you know, this verse was probably the theme verse of the whole entire ministry, my sheep hear my voice, and they follow me in a stranger's voice, they won't follow. Somebody goes, Jacques, you know, I'm really concerned somebody's teaching something that's not totally biblically accurate, you know, in in the church, maybe in one of the teams, like, okay, you know, it's, it's okay. Yeah, but it's going to destroy the sheep. No, it's not. <laughs> it's not. Somebody goes, why not? Well, because my sheep hear my voice, stranger's voice, they will not follow. They will not follow that. They'll dabble in it for a little bit, and then they'll go like, It doesn't last. It's not actually real. It has no legs. It has no root. It cannot produce fruit. There's nothing there. It's empty. Somebody goes, somebody go, actually, they wrote this on a a post the other day. Uh, Do you know how many people have walked away from God because pastors weren't loving or so forth? Like, how many do you think? He says, many. I said, zero. None. Zilch just not true. You know, that really bothered me. I got into condemnation in a big way back in the day. <laughs> there was this, Beth um, might even remember, but there was this, this girl that was in love with this guy, and there was, we had a large youth group that I was youth pastor at, and this girl was a, mm, a little different. Anyway, so she was in love with this guy. This guy wanted nothing to do with her, so she took a butter knife, and she held him up with a butter knife and demanded you date me or i'll stab you <laughs> with a butter knife I'm like so we have this outreach and uh, there were hundreds of teens and i'm about to do an altar call and uh you know everything is set up and man the pressure is on we got to see those hands we got to see those hands we got to get them to fill in those cards you know and we we're ready to do this altar call, and, and a security guard's walking up to me. He goes, like, hey, pastor, you need to come out quickly. I'm like, I can't. I'm about to do an altar call. No, come out. You might remember. you might remember, Jen. So um, I'm like, all right, wait, just, you know, sing another song. I'm coming. You know, a lot of bands chucking away, another song. And I'm running out there, and here's this girl. They had called the cops already. There were a couple of police officers, a couple of police cars. And they getting this girl, like, put the knife down. Put the butter knife down. <laughs> And she says, no, he's got to date me. And this guy standing there like, no, I'm not going to date her. I don't care. She can stab me. I am not dating her. (laughs) And I'm like, brother, I'm with you, man. (laughs) Let her stab you. (laughs) You Like, I know this one. (laughs) Anyway, so years later, I have a problem with speeding, by the way, Tony. And so, yeah. And so here I am again rushing down to the courtroom at Joliet, downtown Joliet, to go and beg the judge to not take my driver's license away. And so I'm um, in my suit like this, it was freezing winter's morning, and I get to the light, and I got to get to the court on time, and the court was right on the other side of the light. If you've ever been to the courts down in Joliet, you'll know. And so it's kind of busy there, and there's no parking around, You know, so I had to park far away and I'm there, and as I'm standing there waiting for the light to turn green so I can walk, walk across it, a lot of people start gathering around there because it was right before everybody started work. It was like 8 in the morning. People are waiting to walk across the street, and as I'm standing there, this one girl next to me goes like, hey, do you have a light? Do you have a light for me? A light? I'm like, oh, I'm sorry, I don't have a light. I said to her, I just I don't have a light, and I'm standing there staring at, you know, the traffic light, and she goes, what? I'm looking at it again. And she goes, aren't you pastor at that church? <laughs> and I'm like, uh, yeah. And I, yeah, I am. Have we met before? Because I, re- I couldn't remember her. She goes, it's because of people like you that people like me no longer serve God. It's because of people like you that I don't walk with the Lord anymore. And she's going off on me. And I, seriously, I couldn't remember who she was and I couldn't remember the situation. And the light was turning green, and nobody was crossing. Everybody was like, man, popcorn. <laughs> you know, what's going on? And I, seriously, I must be honest with you, that light turned a few times, and she just went on screaming, and I'm standing there thinking, okay, what's the loving thing to do? Maybe I need to go like, oh, okay, you know, I was wrong. I was wrong. He should have dated you. I don't know. I, I have to be wrong somehow. It must be me. I know it's me. And um, so we always do that, right? Anyway, so... <clears throat> Eventually, we all walk across. I just ignore her. And uh, throughout that whole little court hearing, which came out really good, um, I drove home that day, (laughs) just so you know, uh, last morning. And uh, so it it just bothered me. It had bothered me for years. Like, did I cause her to stop serving God? And the truth is, the Bible says very clearly, no one, no one, and nothing will snatch them out of my hand. Nothing. Why? Because they hear my voice and they follow and a stranger's voice they will not follow. They will not follow. I can't tell you how many people I have counseled over and over and over again. Like, yeah, I just need to heal from, you know, I need to heal from the previous church. I need to heal from the previous church. They hurt me. Really? So. Why don't you serve the Lord? Well, I'm waiting to be healed first. And uh, let me tell you where healing's at. Healing's right here. My sheep hear my voice and they follow. So let's say you come from a church that teaches a lot of strange doctrine, all right? Uh, you, and, and just a lot of strange things. I don't know. I don't know what it could be, but imagine um, are you in danger? Well, really, in danger of losing a crown, but in danger of losing eternal... No, because a stranger's voice you will not follow. Eventually, you will, y- you will be at a place where you are hearing the actual gospel and where you are actually prioritizing that and not everything else that goes on at that organization. Do you follow what I'm saying? The the sheep always, always eventually get out. They always eventually get out. And so they always eventually make it. They always come out of that, that jaw of that lion because our shepherd is victorious. And he has not lost one. He will never lose one. Let me tell you this, that you did not save you. Yeah, but I do keep my salvation. I'm the one that upholds it. Well, let me say, if I could lose my salvation, I would. All right? Now let me say, <laughs> if you could lose your salvation, you would have already done that. You know that, right? Imagine my son. Every other day, he's no longer at Jacob's. Until he comes back, then he's at Jacob's again. Yeah. yesterday you were not my son today you can be my son again (laughs) your name was written in that book of life before the foundations of the earth that's when your name got written in that book Jesus died for his sheep and he will save them they will be saved even though it seems like they're unsavable I want to end off with this There are many threats in this world. Are we talking about a shepherd you know, protecting the sheep, right, from all the threats that could destroy the sheep? But I just want some sobriety to exist in these four walls at Christ nation. There are many threats in this world that we have to be concerned over, many. All of them are legitimate. They're legitimate threats. Nuclear warfare nuclear threats, legitimate problems in this world. <coughs> and there is there's a degree in which we have to react or respond to these things, even as Christians. There are wars that are brewing and these things threaten the way we live. These threaten our lives. Attacks on our energy grids. Uh, These things are real things, and these are threats to our life, our way of life, and even our own individual lives. Economic meltdown, that's a threat that we face all the time. Threat of terrorism. It's a threat that we face, even here at home. Then we have these things that threaten our health, like this viral threat that now we are facing off with, diseases we're facing off with. So what I am trying to tell you is these things are very threatening that we face. Our world is in a very, very fragile position, in a very fragile place. And though we are surrounded by threats, I can tell you that We are preoccupied at times with the threats we face in this world and we lose sight of the greatest threat to all of humanity and that is eternal damnation. We feel threatened because something is going to make the life we have a little shorter. While I'm telling you the threat we really need to consider is the one that doesn't make your current life a little shorter but that damns your whole entire eternal life. That's the greatest threat faced by every human ever alive that is the big threat and we have to zone in on what matters most nothing is more dangerous with greater collateral and eternal consequences than not knowing Christ as shepherd the one who fights on your behalf who protects and cares for and leads you and guides you And causes there to be a table in the presence of your enemies. And allows you to be in the house of the Lord forever. The the, the greatest threat of all is people not walking through Psalm 22. But they champion Psalm 23 as if it's true for them. Not knowing that anti-Psalm 23 is actually their psalm. Because they will not follow. But the problem is they will not follow because they are not sheep. That's the problem. You go, well, how do I know I'm a sheep? Follow. Oh, that works, no? If that is your desire in your heart, how does it work? Because, for, because repentance is actually not something you choose. Repentance is a gift that God gives you. And then He says, now turn. That's my responsibility, to turn by use of the repentance offered me. Remember when the apostles were preaching to the Gentiles and suddenly, well they were preaching and suddenly the Gentiles started getting filled with the Holy Spirit. And the apostles went, wait a minute, I thought that this message of salvation was for the Jews exclusively. And the apostles went, well evidently, evidently God has granted, given the gift of repentance to the Gentiles also, so they too can turn to God, repent to God, and have faith in Christ. So, my, my thing is, if you are a sheep, you are given repentance in order to be responsible and turn to God, follow Christ, hear His voice, and tune out the voice of the stranger, because you can do this. Nothing is more dangerous and has greater collateral damage and eternal consequences than not knowing Christ, your shepherd. How do I? Why am I burdened over this? Because what we do is we look at a threat, and we will alter our whole entire lifestyle. We will shut everything down. We will lose almost everything we have built. We will go to such extremes because of a threat. That is not even a fraction in comparison to the threat of seeing people die and be separate from God eternally. And here's my my burden. We love people. Now we have to care for them. How do you care for them? Shut everything down. That's how we care for them. We love them so much, we want to protect them from this threat that we are facing today. You love them so much you will alter your whole life and you will you will preach that message. I'm not making small of it. People die from this. But we will make that such a big deal and we will go to such an extreme degree to love on people and have compassion on them and never preach the gospel to them. Never. We don't love them enough. We don't love them enough to make him aware of the threat of eternal damnation, just, I don't want you to have this. You have a 99 point chance of extending your life, even beyond this, but I'm concerned that we are not concerned about the other. God wants us to be entangled and preoccupied with his kingdom and not the kingdom of this world. Never do I encourage anybody to not be wise. Be wise. I'm wise with my children. Um, I feed them, and we make sure that their immune systems are up. You make sure your immune system is up, be wise, all right? And uh, do what you have to do. I'm just saying, like, the priority, the priority, the worst possible threat, the most dangerous threat, the terminal threat, the actual terminal threat is not this death, it's that death. Amen. Let's close our eyes and.